what I will tell you is that I, I share this with every recruit, um, either on the first or second call with that player, um, and I share it with our staff also, is that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed, and I, I love winning. I love the process toward winning. I love baseball. It's a perfect match. Uh, we ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Killing the game. Dead on the rival. No mercy for rivals. Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. In today's episode, we have Eddie Smith. Eddie is currently the head baseball coach at Utah Valley University. Previously, he was the recruiting coordinator and hitting coach at LSU. So a lot of the guys that you just saw who won the national championship at LSU, they were recruited by Eddie when he was there. This past season at Utah Valley University, they set the all-time record for home runs, extra base hits, runs per game, and slugging percentage records. Nobody has had a better turnaround in all of Division I college baseball in the last two years than Utah Valley. So just for perspective... When Eddie took over the program the previous season in 2021, they were 10-47. This past season, they were 34-24. and 24. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible turnaround. Kudos to Eddie and everybody on his staff who, for doing a, a great job and then for the, the players as well. So I, I was pumped when I got to be able to, to interview Eddie, have him on the podcast. I've coached players in the past who have, have played for Eddie and spoken really highly of him as a person and as a coach and so if you're someone who's a hitter out there and you're getting recruited by Eddie Smith at Utah Valley like it's it's definitely something that I would recommend checking out because not only does he have a great staff and he's a great coach but their facilities are are phenomenal I never would have expected that to have you know I think they have probably top 25 facilities in the country easily and that's, you know, you wouldn't expect that at Utah Valley, but it's, it, I mean, it's pretty incredible. So I hope you enjoy this one with Eddie Smith. On another note, I am currently working with players in the transfer portal. So if, if you're a player in the transfer portal and you still need help finding a new school to play at, or maybe you need help just deciding what's going to be the best fit for you so you can uh, you know, thrive at your next school and find the right fit more than anything else that's going to serve you and your long-term goals in baseball, please send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. So if you're in the portal, send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. All right, here we go, Eddie Smith. This is my time, I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. All right, we now welcome onto the podcast Eddie Smith. Eddie, appreciate you coming on the show, man. This is great, Patrick. Awesome to be here. So I, I tell you what, man, I've been doing um, a lot of research on on your program, Utah Valley, since you know we we you know made this date to, to for have you come on the podcast, and I've learned a lot about the program. I mean, I've I've even been you know creeping on you guys on True Media and like really getting into the data analytics, just kind of curious. On, on how you guys have been doing offensively the last couple of years. But I tell you what, the biggest thing that that uh, stuck out to me was in, in 2021, uh, this program was 10 and 47. Um, and then 2022 was your first year. And from 2021, and then this past year in 2023, 
you guys were 34 and 24. It was the best turnaround in all of Division One baseball in that span. So I guess I I I, I want to know selfishly, like, what'd you do? How how do you do that? Well, I think there's just a, a lot of little things that we work to do, um, and we work to just cherish every single day and see it as a place uh, that every day there's room for huge progress. And um, you know, it's it. it what was the most important part? All of it. Um, I think that our staff has been absolutely incredible from our recruiting coordinator, Nate Rasmussen, all the way through our student manager, Justin Fan, and our pitching coach, Grant um, Kukuk, and Kate Crisco. I can list many, many people that we work with every single day that they've all had a huge, huge, huge role in this. And uh, I think the challenge ahead of us now is how can we sustain 30 plus win seasons and keep making runs to our conference championship game and uh, doing this year after year after year. And it's a big, big challenge ahead of us for sure that we're excited about tackling. What's a tip? I know you're a hitting guy. You serve as the hitting coach and you're the head coach of the program too, which is pretty cool. I mean, what's your philosophy when it comes to like developing hitters in the fall? Like, do you leave them be in the fall I've heard that from some from some college coaches and just kind of see how they are for those that six, six week period or whatever, and then start recommending changes or like, how, like, what's your process like? I think every individual is different. I think that uh, it's going to depend a little bit on their experience level, both in age and uh, a, a guy from the middle of uh, nowhere that's kind of more of like a Roy Hobbs, the natural. Maybe we might have to work with him a little bit more because he hasn't been exposed to some of the things that somebody who has gone through hours and hours and event after event after event uh, in, in their upbringing throughout high school to, to get exposure to some concepts. And so uh, the fall to me, it, it's something where we're trying to implement our team foundations for sure and then work with the individuals on what can really help them as individuals excel in those environments. And uh, we're not going to take a whole lot of time uh, with many guys transforming a swing until we feel like we have to. Uh, it's more talking about concepts, creating environments day after day after day that are going to challenge those guys to iron out that swing to make the swing that they already have be the best that it could possibly be. So. Before we started recording, uh, I, we were talking about one one of the, the former players you had and I happen to have too, Hudson Haskin. And the reason I bring him up is uh and he knows this too. I mean he's he's such a good dude, but he, he has a unique movement profile, unique swing. And you know, when when you were working with him or you know looking at him, was that something that was ever a red flag for you? Like, man, I don't know if this type of swing is going to to translate. And I I guess the two part because I'm like I'm also thinking, like, do you also think about hitting in, in mechanics like a, a specific way, or are you just like, hey, hitters hit? Oh, I, I definitely think hitters hit. And Hudson's a great example of what we're talking about right here, where um, he came to campus very, very highly touted. He had broken every record at George Springer's High School uh, up in the Northeast up there um, as a high school player. And there was a lot of hype around Hudson. And, you know, him coming to campus, everybody was talking about, oh, that swing, though, nobody knows, nobody knows. And he got here, and the ball just came off of his bat different. In addition to that, he's just built different. He's got that Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, uh, Tom Brady, Derek Jeter killer instinct built in him that uh, 
it's unique. It's 1% of guys built that way. So you combine that with absolutely incredible elite athleticism, bat speed, uh, hand-eye coordination, twitch in general. And it was something where um, I think he appreciated working together because we didn't sit there and try to turn him into a robot. That was the last thing I wanted to do with a guy that athletic and with guys in general. We don't want this to be the tin man. We want this to be somebody who's acting like a great white shark attacking its prey um, on the Discovery Channel in terms of the athleticism and the freedom and the instinctual movements coming out. And so uh, I, I do. I think hitters hit. I think there's a lot of ways to do it. All you have to do is turn your TV on tonight to watch the Major League games. and You're going to see really, really good hitters doing a lot of different things. I think there's some universal concepts for sure in there. There's some positions that everybody's body gets to, but how they get there and what they do afterward, um, it, it really, really is unique for each individual. And I think allowing that freedom uh, is something that's important to me with our hitters. Who do you like watching in the big leagues? Oh, I like Soto probably the best. Oh, uh, between uh, between his poise to be able to use the whole field and the way that he just dominates the zone is so patient to his pitch. Yeah, he still doesn't strike out in an alarming clip. Um, those walk numbers, it's amazing to me. How do you go about working on, on swing decisions, talking about Soto? Um, because it's something that it seems like for some people think like, yeah, hey, you got it or you don't. I mean, I feel like I've I've seen players get better with that. Is there anything that, that you guys do that you, you think helps hitters improve swing decisions? I think we celebrate walks. We talk about the value of walks. We talk about we're never looking for a walk. It's just the byproduct of a healthy hitter. Um, I think talking plan, talking approach. Um, you know, sometimes if a guy continues to swing at something in the dirt, it, it's a little bit of, hey, what's going on here? Come on now. Like, um, you know, in, at an early age, at three years old, we learn not to touch the kitchen stove because it's hot because we get burned. Uh, you know, that there might be some consequences that are in the form of rewards for guys that are walking, and there might be consequences in the form of uh, negative rewards for guys who can't hold on to that. So that's big. But we also train it uh, physically uh, a lot, um, a lot of BP that's mixed, a lot of BP where we talk about, hey, uh, get a pitch that you can hit over 90 miles an hour or don't swing at the pitch. And we'll do that either, either off of a breaking ball machine with uh, maybe not the most perfect baseballs or uh, an older machine, which doesn't provide the best pitches to hit every time, which is good because that's how the game works. Or, you know, our, our, our coaching staff, we do take a lot of pride in just ripping off breaking ball after breaking ball to hitters. Or, uh, you know, we can't really replicate it quite as well with the fastball because at least for myself, my ball doesn't ride like a good fastball does. But uh, the machines can do that pretty well. So it's something we constantly uh, are, are talking about. We're showing uh, statistics across the board. We're showing statistics for the individual of, hey, when you hit this pitch, um, this is what happens compared to these pitches. And we, we show players where they can be most successful. What's a what's a hitters meeting look like for you guys? Do you guys do those before just in, in conference? I guess maybe midweek. They probably don't have as much time, but – yeah, every, every game will have a hitters meeting uh, going into that game. And so if it's the first time playing a team, it'll be just a little bit longer. Uh, to me, it's much more, hey, that pitcher's got to face us. And we've prepared for pitchers uh, and different kinds of pitchers, kind of putting the individual picture, pitcher into a bucket, so to speak, um, uh, in his profile. And we've prepared for that since the first day of school in August. So we don't have to sit there and go extensively into that guy. But uh, we will sit there and talk about a team as a whole, what they might do, 
um, that's an outlier for that individual team, whether that's how they pitch, how they pick, uh, whatever it might be, two, three minutes spent on that, and then two or three minutes uh, reviewing the day before the, the most previous game, um, some, some teaching points there, and then probably two or three minutes talking about that night's starter and maybe a reliever that is most likely to pitch that has something that's an outlier. So uh, try to stay pretty general in there, but um, try to always relate it back to what we've worked on. Hey, do what we do type of a mindset. Are you a believer in, in like utilizing some of the, the technology that's out there for developing hitters? For sure. You know, I think that uh, one of the biggest things and whether they want to call it technology or, uh, you know, the emergence of player development. But um, after our first year, we realized that one of our biggest areas for improvement that we could have in our program, in our opinion, was the strength side. So we went out to a place called Push Performance. It's located in Arizona, where a lot of big leaguers are training out of Push. And uh, we were able to hire one of their trainers. Uh, and we actually had a personal relationship with them uh, but before that, which was great, too. And it just uh, everything added up. It was a no brainer. But we brought him on board to be our baseball only strength coach. And I think that's just paid huge dividends for our guys to be able to lift uh, around our practice schedule, not necessarily around um, other teams' practice schedules because it's one strength coach for four teams or whatever is the standard at most colleges and universities. And so that's a big piece of it. Uh, we've done incredible stuff there with body screenings, with identifying individual um, deficiencies, modifying workouts in many, many ways for the individual, which I think that's just the frontier right now that so many people are exploiting in college baseball. Uh, in the professional game for sure for the technology piece using tech in that area um, we measure exit velocity as often as we can as often as we can in different ways uh, really fired up we've got TrackMan coming to our stadium uh, this fall which will just be a game changer we had that at LSU when I was there I mean I was sitting there and studying that information all the time um, able to really do some big big studies there uh, COVID thank you thank you 2020 for uh <laughs> You know, you know, making all of us have all this time on our hands that we didn't know what to do with. And so I used it for some time to really explore numbers and data and college baseball numbers. I mean, I think we had something like 92,000 batted balls of a shared uh, track man research project at the at the college level, which is slightly different than the pro level in ways. But still, uh, you know, exit velocity is king. Uh, that exit velocity is just a little bit lighter than your big league guy in most cases. And, you know, the the launch angles very very similar so just trying to prepare our guys with that information and i think it's more beneficial for our guys sometimes to see hey that's how the guy does it at the teams that we're playing against or the all-american that they can relate to because he's their age and maybe they saw him at a tournament when they're in high school as opposed to yeah you know what we'd all like to be mike trout but we're still a ways away to get there let's work on you know the steps that are are, are taken to get there not try to get there overnight yeah, what what's the players uh, like buy-in to to some of the stuff you guys are doing? Just from you mentioned like exit velocity, like promoting that kind of stuff. I mean, are they already coming in like obsessed with some of these metrics, and you have to maybe tone them down if anything? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a new age compared to what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, and it's a good thing. The information that these players have at their fingertips right now, it's so cool, and I think they take it for granted. They should. It's the world we took. Uh, Nintendo for, for granted, you know, and our parents didn't have that. So these guys just really, really have some great information right at their fingertips to uh, 
learn and understand. There's times that an individual might be a little bit overboard and obsessed with the metric as opposed to, hey, using the metric as a really nice tool to get them to the ultimate destination. But uh, we can have that conversation. I think it's a really cool thing. And I, I've had to you know, adapt myself to be able to speak the language of this era. And um, you know, I think what's neat about it is all of this information, if you really start breaking it down, makes a lot of sense. And so to be able to speak the language, um, it's very logic-based, in my opinion, uh, to talk about, hey, the harder you hit the ball, the better it's going to be for you as a hitter. Uh, you know, Ted Williams was also talking about that in The Science of Hitting when he wrote that in the 1950s. And so now we just have a way to measure it. The terms may be a little bit different, but I just don't think it's rocket science there. It's, hey, how do we connect uh, with players in today's world and, and use that information that we have to get the best player possible. So Eddie, I, I gotta be honest, man, I was looking up um, your bio and one of the things that, that jumped out to me, like, like not like it was something crazy is when you went to Notre Dame, I was like, Oh, he graduated. I was like, Oh, he got a degree in Spanish. <laughs> so I had to, I have to ask like, what was, what was the thought back then of getting a degree in Spanish? Like, did you want to go into pro ball? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, it started with having really good. Yeah, a, a little bit of, of all the way back to high school. I just had really good teachers. And then I went to community college for two years, a little small community college. And the teacher was wonderful and uh, just kind of continued with it. The thought was always that I was going to teach high school, coach high school. Uh, that's what my parents both did. Um, and, and so that seemed like a really great lifestyle. And, uh, you know, um, I always, though, had in the back of my mind, okay, um, travel, baseball, Spanish, it all kind of goes together. And uh, it came easy to me. I enjoyed it. And so um, it, it's been awesome. I've had the benefit to go to the Dominican now five times on baseball trips and use Spanish. I've traveled on my own. Uh, back in my younger days, I backpacked all over Latin America and Mexico and just uh, was able to use that see parts of the world, see the baseball world in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. So it's been really awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. It's impressive stuff. Um, I, I want to pick your brain a little bit, just because, again, you've been a hitting coach for several years, and you know, you're a head coach now, and you've been previously a head coach um, at another stop too. But how were how you able to, to help players with the mental side of, of the game? I know you mentioned Hudson Haskin earlier, played for you at Tulane, and, and for one of the first things you talked about was how just – how he was different um, from the mental side. I mean, how do you go about helping players find that killer instinct or can you? Well, I think you definitely can. Uh, we work on that. I, I would say daily in different ways. And uh, Early on in the season, before we get into our full fall team practice, we have several team meetings. We call them baseball one-on-one and it's uh, 20 minutes spent together as a group where we try to set that tone and we talk about, hey, we're here to be great. We're here to do nothing but become the best that we could possibly be as performers, as baseball players. Um, you know, we try to do everything we can to create an environment where from the people that we bring in, from what we accept, from the expecting expectation that we have, greatness is the only option. There is no option to just get by on a given day and hope for good. Um, it, it's coming to be the best you could possibly be, be the best in the country every single day as an expectation. And uh, 
you know, really setting that tone and being vocal about that and being intentional on that, saying this is who we are, this is what it's about, I think uh, is the foundation of it. But then, you know, there's some other things that we do. We start every single day of practice with the quote of the day. Um, it's the first thing on the practice plan. It's mandatory that the players uh, remember the quote. If the players don't remember the quote, uh, somebody gets called upon. And if they don't have the quote to be able to reel off, we all do 10 push-ups, coaches included. So, uh, you know, just something like that. But there's more to than just the fear of doing 10 push-ups, right? It's, uh, there's substance in there, and it's relating to what this team needs on this given day for maximum performance, and it's dynamic. Maybe we'll talk about that quote for 10 seconds because the quote's pretty self-explanatory, and the team's in a position where it's self-explanatory. Um, maybe that quote on a given day is a prelude to, we're going to take 20 minutes at the start of practice to watch a video and then talk about it or just let the video do all the talking or have a guest speaker from, you know, maybe a first responder or an army veteran come and talk to the team about this is what it takes to be a part of the team. And you know what? Your teammates are counting on you. If you screw that up, you guys might lose a game. If I screw that up, people might lose a life, you know, in, in that kind of perspective of teamwork uh, and, you know, coming to play every single day and people counting on you. Um, you know, the mental side, I think, is huge. Uh, this year, we were really fortunate. We worked with a guy named Brandon Geyer, who is a major league veteran, uh, but he's really taken on the mental side and uh, in his retirement. has created a, a lot of stuff. I think Virginia worked with him. Vanderbilt worked with them. Several other uh, individual professional players have worked with him. And, you know, this big league mindset that he's doing, this program was really beneficial for our players. So, it's an everyday thing. I, I think it's something that, much like any skill, you got to train your mind, train the brain. We call it to to think a different way, to think uniquely, and it's a it's a focal point for everybody on our team for sure. Yeah, we had Brandon on the podcast um, a couple years ago now, and yeah, he's awesome stuff. Um, I I love it. You know, he's got the experience of playing in the big leagues, and he's doing doing some really cool stuff. I'm helping teams and organizations on the mental side. Um, do you so when you get to the park each day, are you the one finding the quote? for that day probably 95 percent of the time yeah you know uh, it, it's cool it's something where every once in a while we'll turn that over to the to an individual player for the day to say hey send a quote and set the tone for the team today um you know that's kind of earned that's earned through hey sometimes we just feel like you know my feeling is that every team in college baseball by about mid-april on is very very much player driven so we want to give the players uh, a feeling of ownership and the ability to drive that ship early on, but that's earned. That's a little bit of a two-way street in there, but um, a, a player who um, maybe has a point that he wants to make or a player that maybe we're in conversation just in a, uh, in, in meeting in my office and he brings up a really good point point, say, hey, do you want to share that with the team for one-on-one this week? That sort of thing. It, it'll come up that way, but you know, I'm constantly looking for that content, really starting for my own motivation, for my own mental um you know, strengths. And, uh, you know, I think when I find stuff that I like, I, I really try to go out of my way to share that with the team. And I kind of have a bank of quotes, bank of ideas, always trying to add to that bank to be able to use at the right moments for a team uh, throughout the season. Are you a big reader? Do you like reading books? You know, I, I think my capacity is really narrowed down to about 200 240 characters these days in today's world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's something where, when I find a book that I like, I, I do, I plow through it. I, I don't make the time to read as much as maybe I should. Um, to me, it's much more 
headlines, quotes, stuff like that that pops up uh, in a lot of different platforms these days. And so it, it's something where, I, I mean, yeah, I think I, I do read. I think I try to be aware, but uh, not as much in the traditional way as, uh, as some might be. What's something that you've learned as as being a um, a head coach a second time? Because you were head coach, then you went back to being assistant. Now you're head coach again. Is there something that you learned the for, from the first time, or like you know what? Next time I become a head coach, like I'm going to do this, this, and this different. For sure. I mean, I have a whole page of notes in my phone. Uh, you know, a whole page dedicated is just titled "Do Better," and then it lists the year. Um, so I've already started my do better for 2024 page, um, 2024, 2025 page, because we're on the 23, 24 academic year now. So that, that part's always there for sure. Uh, but I think what I would say, the biggest adjustment this time has been, it's a bigger program. It's a higher level managing people. Um, it's just a bigger production. Uh, everything about it is just such a bigger production um, and, managing people and the time associated with managing people is real and it's the most important part in uh, being a head coach by all means is getting the right people and putting them in the spots where you know put aces in their places is what my wife says at her work and uh, I think it's a great quote and, and you got to find those aces uh, both on your staff your support staff uh, the players that you bring in and then you just let them run and uh I think that sometimes that's hard because you, you feel that sense of ownership and uh, you see a way that you want it to be done and it's not always done that way. But then you also understand that, hey, the more you try to insert yourself, you, you might stop the thoroughbred from sprinting. And you don't ever want to do that, whether that's a coach or a player. You want to have great people, great players in your organization and just let them go. How have you learned to to get those, those good people in terms of like recruiting coaches. And, I, and I'm sure interviewing is a big part of that. Uh, I mean, how do you go about the interviewing process to, cause I think there's good people out there who they're really good at interviewing. Right. And so it's like, how do you find, how do you, how do you decide? Maybe someone's probably saying that about me. I don't know, but how do you decipher through that? Yeah, Patrick, that's a, a question that, you ask that I've asked myself a lot because I've been able to really strike gold with the staff that we have right now. And how did we get there? I don't know. I mean, it's inevitable that we're not going to stay together forever. And uh, uh, there's beauty in that too, because those guys that I work with are going to get opportunities that are even greater. And, and that's really cool. And when that happens, I sit there and lose sleep at night about how that replacement process is going to work because, um, I, I don't know how many times can you really hit the lottery. And uh, that's what we've done here. Um, I think some strategies that I used was being open-minded, um, uh, open-minded to hiring people that I didn't know very well, but also having a very clear idea in my mind about what that person's character was like, what their traits that I was looking for for their specific role are, and what the responsibilities of that role are going to be. And being very clear about those things also, about this is what I expect. These are what the responsibilities are going to be. And I think interviewing and recruiting kind of go hand in hand in this. It's not a sale. It's a matchmaking process. Okay. We can't swipe right. Try to find somebody, <laughs> you know, through, through a big list of people on an app. But it, it's, it's finding the right person, not selling somebody either way. 
mm-hmm. on it because you're going to be around that person more than you're around your family in our game. And it's got to be a special person that you can work with uh, in order to achieve some things. Man, Eddie, that's so good because I, I feel like at times it seems that there's uh, people out there. It's like they're it's like you're they become a, a used car used car salesman where they'll say whatever it takes just to get you. You know what I mean? And you bring up a great point where it's man, you're seeing these people every single day for four years. So if if they don't want to be there, then you don't really want them there. It doesn't really matter how talented it is or they are. Are, are there specific questions or maybe is there like one specific question that you could give that you maybe you ask everybody uh i, I wouldn't say there's specific questions uh what i will tell you is that I, I share this with every recruit um either on the first or second call with that player um and i share it with our staff also is that uh you know i i i'm obsessed i'm obsessed and I love winning. I love the process toward winning. I love baseball. It's a perfect match. And I think that's uh, uh, required in college athletics. Um, and so you got to know that about me. But for the right person, um, that can be the best thing because I find a lot of people deep down want that. And so if you have that obsession about wanting to win and loving college baseball, I think we're going to work really well together, whether you're a staff member or a player. And I would expand on that to say, you know, specifically to Utah Valley, I think we've got a really cool place here for a player or a staff member. And I always say, hey, you know what? We don't have college football. Lee Corso is not going to show up and put on the headgear this <laughs> spring or this fall at all. I promise. Okay. We don't have that. So you can't sit there and have dreams of going out and tailgating and have a great time on Saturday afternoon at the stadium. We don't have fraternities. We don't have sororities. If that's what you envision your college experience to be like, there's some really good baseball programs that do have that. But what we do have is each other. And I think this locker room is more united than any locker room I've ever been around at a four-year school because people come here because of baseball and Baseball as their primary and almost sole motivator when we're talking about a roster that's maybe about 85% non-residents. Uh, non They're here to play baseball. And a cool thing about that is the second you step foot in that locker room, everybody around, here, around you is going to be here to play baseball. And so if that fits you here at Utah Valley, we're a really good fit. There's no doubt about that. So. I think those are the things that are constants in our communication, um, in, in our hiring, in, in our recruitment. The other thing you guys have there is, and I had no idea until I started really looking into it, you guys got some incredible facilities there. I mean, it is, I mean, you coach in the SEC. I mean, I look at those facilities and, man, it comes, I mean, I think some of the some of it is close to, or not about on par with some of the facilities in the SEC. Uh, you hit the nail on the head, Patrick. I mean, we, we have top 25 facilities uh, in the country, and it's something we were really fortunate. The Angels and the city of Orem and our campus came together and built this facility in 2005. The Angels used it for 15 years for their rookie league team, and they've since disbanded. We've been the beneficiaries of that. We've been able to put turf on the field. We've been able to brand the locker. It's our own now. Uh, everybody has the locker to themselves for 12 months of the year. Uh, it's home. And 
that's a huge, huge piece of it for us. Uh, much like yourself, I first got a call about Utah Valley in the spring of 2021, and I didn't grow up dreaming of coaching or playing college baseball in Utah. And I don't know that there's <laughs> many people that have. And so I was pretty lukewarm uh, about the possibility at the time. But uh, a couple of conversations with our administration, and it was clear that they were serious about wanting to win, which is important. Amazing people, incredible vision. If you look at our whole department right now, uh, the ascension of every program is easy to see. And it's not very hard to figure out why. It starts with our athletic director and the rest of our athletic administration. Every day they are on the forefront of trying to grow, 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 grow land ahead in this new world of college athletics. Our president was at eight or nine of our games this year. She went viral during the NIT in basketball because she had her pom-poms at courtside as we beat Cincinnati at home. Um, athletics are important here, and it's really cool to see the school do that. Uh, it's so easy to be on the other side of that where people want to be what they've always been. And Utah Valley uh, is this growing institution that was just finished our 20th year as a D1 school, as opposed to being a junior college before that. Um, we also have an indoor facility uh, about a mile and a half from our campus that's is rivals an NFL football facility, indoor bubble. We scrimmage in there when we need to in January and occasionally February. Our stadium, not only is it beautiful with the backdrop and the 5,000 seats, but you know, we've got a locker room in there. We've got two batting cages indoors in there. We've got a weight room in there. Um, everything that we need is right there in our stadium. Player development here is real. We've got everything we need to have the tools to develop players that's better than, I would say, probably at least half of the Power 5 schools. So we're fortunate for that, for sure. Yeah, that's so, I mean, all that stuff is so cool. I think going back to what you said earlier about you know, if you go to Utah Valley, it's, hey, you want to play baseball, right? If you're not going to football games and all this other stuff. And I'm, I, mean, I know we're, we have a lot of uh, high school players who listen to this, parents and, and other coaches too. But uh, having been in college myself, I'll tell you what, like baseball and school take up, it seems like 95% of the time. So, I mean, you can have all those dreams of going playing football or whatnot, but if those are your dreams – I don't know if college baseball is for for you in general because you're not going to have that much time um, dedicated to it. But do you do you believe in goals? Like, do you have a five year goal for Utah Valley in the back of your mind? I do. I, I do believe in you know having a vision. I, I call them dreams. I think goals are things that you write down in sixth grade as a class activity. I think dreams are what get you out of bed before your alarm clock even goes off. And so, so you're, you're telling me that was a bad question then. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Rephrase the term, you know. Uh, uh, that, that's the way that, that my mind kind of goes to, to when I hear that word goals. Uh, to, I want to call them dreams. And, um, you know, I think uh, to me, there's some tangible things. You know, we want to win a WAC championship for sure. No doubt. It's something that we dream on every single day um, to, to get to that NCAA tournament and give these players that experience of playing in a regional, being on ESPN and that environment is just, uh, there's nothing like it. And, uh, but in order to get there, I think habits are so important. And those are the things that we focus on day in and day out to get us to those dreams. Uh, those are the things that we talk about the most. We talk about, Hey, what's it take to get a little bit better today? And, uh, you know, those habits and developing those habits are, are, are the theme, but, 
we also do. We, we talk about those things that we we want to accomplish at the end of the season, maybe at the five-year mark, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, in my office, I've got it listed out uh, of what the annual dreams are. Um, you know, things like most wins in Utah, win more WAC games than we lose, win more total games than we lose, win the WAC championship in the regular season, get to the WAC tournament, win the WAC tournament, win an NCAA tournament game. Um, you know, those are the tangible things that are up on the wall that I look at every single day as kind of that carrot. But I think that also every single day is just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at the task at hand, having great habits to wake up and attack every morning uh, like it's the most important day of the year because it is in that day. How do you go about uh, figuring out the schedule? This is something I've actually had so many college coaches on this podcast, but I've never asked this question, even though I've, I've thought of it from time to time. How do you decide, like, okay, maybe do I want a, a pretty tough non-conference schedule early on in the season, or do, do I want to face some really good teams and then also mix in some some teams not as great because I don't want to crush our guys? How do you go? What's the thought behind that? That's a great question, Patrick. I'll tell you, the scheduling is the piece that I was really excited about doing as a Division One head coach, and it's been the most challenging. I wouldn't call it a headache. But uh, it's, it's the most challenging component of being the head coach at Utah Valley that I didn't foresee. Um, we're very isolated geographically. We're limited in who we can play in the middle of the week. Our first two weeks of the year, we need to go on the road in February. Um, pretty good chance we could play at home, but we got to play. And we don't want to run the risk of not being able to play that time of year with the weather. And so we have to go on the road uh, um, those first two weekends. And so... Those factors have made scheduling an interesting challenge. I'll tell you, our first season, we were picking up the pieces of trying to put a schedule together when we got the job in June of 2021 for the 2022 season. And when you're picking up the pieces that late, you're begging and you're pleading for people to play uh, to, just to be able to have games. And I'll tell you, the 2022 schedule was a tough one. And I've got a really good friend who's the coach at an NAIA school now in Oregon, one of the best coaches I've ever been around. He's a women's basketball coach, and we shared time together when I was at the junior college level. He was too. Just an incredible um, mentor and a guy who has a really good feel and pulse and sixth sense. And his quote after year one when we were just breaking down the season, he said, all right, we've always agreed on recruiting as the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, Chad, it is. Absolutely, Chad. And he said, you've learned this year, scheduling is the second most important thing. And there's so <laughs> much truth to it. There's so much truth to it. Um, we don't have the luxury that maybe a school in California has of being able to pick up a rock and hitting four schools to play in the midweek, right? And so we have to sit there and sometimes take what we can get on the scheduling side of things. Um, but also work really diligently and strategically to try to put that schedule together. As far as what we're trying to accomplish with our schedule, I think it's a little bit of a combination of, one, get games in, in the non-conference play, and two, play teams that both are really good competition, and then every once in a while here we want to play, I call it, play you know outside of our weight class, play a top 25 team. Get them on the schedule. Get our guys a chance to see, hey, that's what it looks like. That's the team that we're going to be working to beat when we get to that regional, you know, and it prepares us for conference play. Really, everything's in, in our format is geared 
toward getting us ready for WAC play. We've got 30 conference games. We're a one-bid league. And so the reality is, is that we've got to, one, qualify for our WAC tournament. And then our WAC tournament format is tiered to really favor teams that finish higher, one and two, three and four, more so than five through eight. So we want to finish as high as we can in the conference play to be in a great position for that WAC tournament. And so um, it's all geared toward preparing our guys to be really good in those 30 games and then go have a great weekend at the end of the season. Yeah, because I, I saw you guys played, I think, a couple times uh, Northwest Nazarene uh, yep. this year. I, I talked to, um, I've talked to Matt, uh, I think, how do you pronounce his last name? Hollid, I believe. Hollid, yeah. Yeah, great guy, great guy, awesome guy. I talked to him on the phone and uh, messaged him a little bit back and forth. So I guess that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Because midweek games, even though they're a Division two, very, very good program, but you just like, you got to find games to play. There, there's no question. And um, the, the reality of it, there's some other teams in this boat where Iowa is a very good example. If you look at their schedule, they're going to play four non-Division one games every single year just because of the geography. Um, sometimes we'll have to, you know, explain ourselves to somebody in the coaching world out on the road. And it, it's really simple. Um, do we want to be practicing that day or do we want to be playing that day? Because those are the two choices with where we are geographically. And, um, you know, Northwest Nazarene, I mean, they darn well could be in our conference and they'd be right in the middle of the path. They're a very good program. Um, it's it's great competition and uh, it's fun playing them. We'll continue to play them quite a bit, probably just because of the proximity geographically. But, um, you know, this upcoming season, we've got some other NAIA school uh, schools coming in. It's just what we have to do to get to our 56-game max. And to me, we play... We spend way too much time recruiting. Our players spend way too much time practicing. Um, we need the benefit. It's all about the games. And it just gives us a chance when we play games to see guys in that spotlight, see guys playing against another uniform. And I think it's good for everybody involved. So we're going to continue to do that. Um, and if people think that that's uh, you know, not the right way to do it, they're not in our shoes. So Is that uh... Is there a, a date scheduled for an LSU reunion? Take you guys back down to LSU? You know, maybe one day we'll get down to Baton Rouge. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, I had a great time in Louisiana. Spent four years there total. And uh, wonderful state, wonderful people. Um, I love the purple and gold before I even coached there. Uh, my high school was purple. So when it came to choosing an SEC football team to root for as a kid, it was always the Tigers. So to get to wear that uniform, gosh, it was awesome. And we'd love to go down there and play sometime. Any any schools you can share? Like, is there, is there anything that's locked in for the schedule for next year already? Yeah. Um, next season, we're going to open up uh, at Cal State Northridge. Um, opening weekend, we'll have a great series with them. And then we're going to play St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Portland on our schedule. Gonzaga's on our schedule. Uh, we're working to get this finalized, but it looks like we're going to have a, a series with Arizona State, which will be great. And then, uh, you know, we're going to have our traditional midweeks with Utah uh, and BYU. So uh, exciting schedule on the non-conference front next year. And uh, shoot, that'll all be ironed down, locked in, signed, sealed, and delivered here, hopefully over the next month or two. Yeah, one more question for you. So, Eddie, I think of Utah, and I'm like, honestly, at this point right now, I think of Eddie Smith when I think of Utah. And I think of, you know, 
your program, but what what do you like doing like doing for fun in Utah, like Utah, like what, around campus? Like what what's some things that are that are pretty cool that you found and maybe you weren't expecting that that you liked about it? Utah is the most underrated state in the union. I got to go to all fifty states before I turned thirty years old, and wow. Utah is absolutely incredible. Um, 20 minutes from our campus, you're right in the heart of the mountains. There's resorts everywhere that celebrities vacation at because it's so peaceful and tucked away. Uh, world-class fly fishing. I don't hunt, but I'm told that the hunting's amazing. Skiing. I mean, the Olympic Games are here. It speaks for itself. Uh, the food's great. The people are absolutely wonderful. Um, love the Utah culture of kindness, of cleanliness, care about your neighbor, uh, just an unbelievable place for myself and our young family to raise kids, uh, go see nature, explore. Salt Lake City is a hidden gem of an up-and-coming, good vibe, fun place to be, concerts, Utah jazz games, maybe a big league team coming in at the next expansion time. Uh, it's a hidden state for sure. And, uh, can't say enough about it. That's awesome. I tell you what, I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to go play for you, but I appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast, Eddie. And uh, it's just fun, man. I'm glad we got to connect. Patrick, thank you. Awesome being on the show. I've loved uh, what I've been able to listen to and uh, you do a great job. So keep it up. Appreciate it. We back at the top. Back at the top. We got it again. We got it again. We came to 